Hello and welcome to the Talking Health Tech Podcast. I'm Kim. I'm Chris and we're here to take over this feed for a short while while the Talking Health Tech team enjoy a well-deserved holiday break. And I'm Rivka. We host the Medicubes Podcast where we dive into the most exciting and challenging topics in primary health care. We answer listeners' questions, bring in expert guests and spark engaging discussions. In this episode titled Payroll Tax Fundamentals, we delve into how payroll tax affects medical practices with real-world cases and the latest compliance requirements. This episode is a must-listen for anyone involved in healthcare management, particularly in primary care. It sheds lights on some crucial financial aspects that can have pretty significant impact on medical practices. We hope you enjoy this special episode. And remember, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the MedCubes podcast. You'll get access to all our past episodes and be the first to hear about the exciting topics that we've lined up for you in the coming year. You can find all the details in the show notes of this episode. So without further ado, let's dive into today's feature. Hey, welcome to the Medicubes podcast, where we bring you all that's good, exciting, and sometimes challenging in primary healthcare. I'm Chris Spee, joined by my good friends, Kim Pointer and Rivka Hagen. Together, we bring a wealth of experience and passion, as well as being in the thick of what's going on in our industry. We used to have a laugh, debrief and chat about all the big issues and what was happening in our own professional worlds, and invite you to join us in this conversation. So join us and our invited guests every month to bring you a lighthearted take on the latest, greatest, and controversial issues and a few pearls of wisdom along the way. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. A hearty welcome from Virapai country. And uh, Rivka Hagen here. I'm meeting you from Jajawurrung country. And a big hello from Turbul and Jagara country. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Medicubes podcast. Today we're talking all things payroll tax from the very beginning. We're going to break things down, understand what it is, what it means to your practice, what's going on at the moment, and what you need to be aware of. Our day, it's just Riff and I flying solo. Kim couldn't make it. Riff, how are you this week? Yeah, hi Chris. I am doing really, really well. Excited for a bit of a break coming up, but I'm equally excited to do a bit of a deep dive into this pesky issue of the payroll tax. So, so excited to have our guests with us today. And that's right. We have two guests with us today. We have Kelly from Growth MD and Ben from Avant Lord joining us. Welcome, Kelly and Ben. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. Be here. Oh, look, we are so grateful to have you on. We thought let's go to some experts, people who know what they're doing. Tax is a lovely little intersection between law and accounting. So get some lawyers and accountants on. I'll just quickly introduce our guest. So Kelly is the founder of GrowthMD, an accounting firm partnering with medical businesses all over Australia. Throughout her 20 plus years in accounting, Kelly has advised a diverse client base, including ASX listed companies, multi-site clinic groups, and small startup businesses. Kelly's everyday approach to business is simple, focusing on leveraging technology, valuing personal relationships, and finding practical solutions. So welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Oh, thank you, Chris. I always feel a little bit bashful when someone reads out a bio. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that feeling. And look, we always like to welcome our guests with hearing about their sort of random or fun fact. 
So, uh, Kelly, what is your random or fun fact for us? So, mine is that I literally bumped into Michael Jackson when I was a kid. So, I know that that may be for the younger (laughs) people on this podcast. That's not a big thing. But (laughs) at the time, he was like the biggest star in the world. And I was in Chicago at the Aquarium. And I actually, when I say literally bumped in, they actually basically knocked me over because I was standing there like a little <laughs> like in wonder looking at the aquarium and I just got like taken out by Michael Jackson coming through with these two, the biggest, burliest guys you've ever seen in your life. And I didn't know what had happened. And then everyone's like, Michael, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I've seen. got to ask, um, was, did there happen to be a monkey on his shoulder? or um, <laughs> <laughs> No, that would have been even, even cooler. <laughs> <laughs> An aquarium, it should have been, I don't know, an octopus or something. No, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and joining Kelly is Ben Ryan. So Ben has been working with medical practices since 2013. And Ben works primarily on commercial structuring and intellectual property matters to help clients achieve strategic and commercially sustainable results. He pursued a career in law to provide reliable and honest support to those in need of legal assistance and enjoys working with clients to develop solutions-orientated legal strategy and advice. So, Ben, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on as well. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good. And, and I really do like the way your bio says solution-orientated and sensible advice. I think that's really important in this space. <laughs> It's fairly, fairly rare for lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And speaking of rare for lawyers, do you have a fun fact being a lawyer or was it sort of, you know, all, all too muted out? I was, I was going to say, uh, I, th- I thought I had a fun fact, but then I heard Kelly's and I thought maybe I am just a, a boring old lawyer, but, you know, not, not all lawyers are boring and I think <laughs> you, can, you can have some positive experiences with them or at least some of us. So, yeah, I think that's that's my fun fact. We're not all actually boring, and if you talk to the right ones, you might actually have a pretty good time. <laughs> I think I've got a fun fact for you, Ben. Every time I talk to someone who's worked with Ben, they're like, how old is Ben? Is he old enough to, to be a lawyer? So I'm going to call it, we could call it babyface Ben for today. That's um, right. would be our fun fact that we impose for you. So it's, that's my favorite thing to overcome when people meet me. They go, are you sure? Are you old enough to be my lawyer? And then we have the conversation. They go, oh, actually, you, know, you do know what you're talking about. That's good. Oh, that's good. Well, look, let's get the conversation started. But because we do have an accountant and a lawyer on the podcast, we probably need to sort of just set things up with the right framework and the right way to sort of think about that and who else better to sort of set us up around that framework than, than Ben? So what do we need to know before we even start getting some advice or learnings in this space? Yeah, perfect. Chris, look, certainly with these sorts of conversations, it's important to know that this is very general in nature. Uh, we're not telling anyone exactly what to do. Everyone needs to go off and get their own specific legal and tax advice that relates to your specific circumstances. Every practice is genuinely a little bit different to the other. So you've got to make sure and you get that specific advice for you. But we're definitely going to talk about all of the the joys of payroll tax and some important considerations today. So they sort of, I guess, getting you primed up to go and have those conversations with your advisors, sort of knowing knowing the basics and and knowing what's what's going on. I think that leads probably into our first question. So, Kelly, what is payroll tax? What does someone need to know about it? We hear this word payroll tax everywhere, but what's sort of the 60-second, this is payroll tax, what is it? Yeah, well, payroll tax in 60 seconds. This will be interesting. There's no clock, so don't stress. (laughs) So payroll tax is a state-based tax, and I think it's important as at the base level to understand that it is not administered by the ATO. It is administered by each state's state revenue office. So I know there's been a lot of talk out there lately about the ATO are going to come and get me for payroll tax, so that's not 
who's looking at payroll tax, so important to understand that. And it's it's a tax levied on what we call taxable wages or taxable payments, and those would usually include salaries, super, allowances, and contractor payments, unless exemptions apply. So each state has a different threshold and a slightly different rate, and they can be quite varied. So in Queensland up here where we are, it's 1.3 million threshold. In Victoria, it's just gone up to 900,000. In Victoria, there's different rates for metro and regional payers. And, you know, so there's there's a few different things. So in Queensland, 1.3 million and about 4.95 or 4.75%, depending on the size of your business. So that just, I guess, to give you an example of the figures that we're talking about. So you need to register for payroll tax and you need to self-assess when to register. So they're not going to send you a letter usually and say, hey, you've ticked over the threshold. Now you need to register you and your accountant need to be always looking at what wages are we paying, contract payments, super, when do we reach the threshold and when will we be required to register. And it can also be a bit tricky to know sometimes because there's grouping provisions. So if you have multiple entities or you're a part owner of multiple businesses, they can all group together to put you over the threshold. So it's not straightforward. It does take a little bit of headspace to monitor and think about it, but it is important to register when you're meant to because we'll talk about, you know, investigations and audits later, but I have actually seen some of those stem from people that should have been registered that weren't Mm. suddenly get pulled into an investigation, which opens up obviously a review of all types of payments in their business. The last thing to say is, it's not uncommon for, for me and probably Ben as well to talk to medical practice owners and managers about payroll tax and they have no idea what it is because in many states, you know, if you're in Queensland and it's a 1.3 million threshold and you're only looking at, at salaries and wages paid to your reception and nursing and admin staff, likely you're not going to get there. So you've never had to worry about this before everybody started talking about it in the last few years. So yeah, for all the listeners, if you don't know anything about payroll tax, what it is, how you register, you know, if it applies, don't feel silly because it's a very common thing not to have experienced it before. Great. So um, Ben, from your perspective, can you also give us a bit of a, a rundown of that sort of legal time frame that's really sort of prompted the current discussions. Yeah, certainly. I think payroll tax has been around for you know, a few years, particularly for medical practices, but it's starting to get a bit of a, a ramp up as the various revenue offices around Australia start to realise that maybe there's been a few practices that have been a bit naughty in how they're dealing with their doctors or maybe trying to push the boundaries a little bit too far in terms of how they do deal with their doctors. So. You know, you've got some decisions that span back quite a few years, but most recently you've got, you know, home front nursings, your optical superstore and that dreaded Thomas and Nars words, which everyone shudders at as soon as they say them, including myself. And really it's the case of quite a few of those practices had been dealing with their doctors in such a way where they weren't really dealing with them under a proper service agreement. They were stretching the boundaries of that relationship and try to impose really some of the controls and mechanisms that you would ordinarily see with employees, or at the very least contractors who you engage and ask them to do services for you and tell them where to do it and how to do it and so on and so forth. So really, it's it's not a case of every single medical practice in Australia 
is necessarily going to qualify, but certainly those practices that might want to be dealing with their doctors in specific circumstances potentially do need to start thinking about payroll tax and have those discussions with your advisors to make sure you are dealing with them properly. And Ben, I wonder like what sort of kicked off this and probably Ben and Kelly, like I remember managing a practice five years ago and, and payroll tax was sort of not really a thing that was we'll focus on our bazers and our yearly tax and everything like that. Why has this become a big thing? I know you mentioned some cases there, Ben, but maybe sort of what does that mean? I keep hearing Thomas and Naz and I'm not a lawyer. So whenever I Google it and I get the reelings, I'm like, oh, I'm probably going to be a little bit out of my depth here. What's changing and what sort of things that are, what I'm hearing about what's going on here? Yeah, really good question. So probably, you know, first case worth talking about is the optical superstore decision. And don't worry, I'm not going to make you go off and do your research, anyone at home. I might even put it in the show notes. Don't worry, yeah, we'll I might put that on the show notes. No, don't do that to anyone. Uh, <laughs> and look, really, it's a case of in Optical Superstore, the reason that they kind of got flagged by the revenue office was because they were collecting all of the money. They were engaging with the optometrists and saying, look, you need to work here and you've got to meet these criteria and these KPIs and then we'll give you little bonuses or incentives for working harder and so on and so forth. So that circumstance, they were dealing with the doctors, they were collecting everything, they were paying them, they weren't just necessarily passing on the fees to each of the Mm. practitioners. There are various other controls imposed. And then most recently, you have the Thomas and Nas decision. Again, don't worry, I'm not going to make anyone go off and do their own research. (laughs) And really what Thomas and Nas highlighted was that, you know, that's a a medical practice that genuinely thought, as you can tell from all the appeals, that they were doing the right thing. But they had some administrative controls that they were using with their doctors where they were collecting all of the money and passing it on to the doctors. They were also telling the doctors where to work, when to work, having a lot of controls in terms of rostering, imposing restraints of trade on them so that they couldn't work in competition with the practice. And really it was the case of, when you got into the crux of it, the patients belonged to the practice and the doctors were really working for the practice to provide the services to those patients. And look, certainly if that's the way you want to deal with the doctors and deal with the patients, then the relevant contract provisions in the Payroll Tax Act is exactly why they exist and you need to probably have that consideration and that discussion. The Payroll Tax Act for everyone that doesn't want to have to do the research on that legislation as well, because it's a thrilling read, even for us lawyers, has largely been harmonised across the east coast of Australia. Certainly our friends in, in WA have it pretty good because a lot of the relevant contract provisions don't really apply over there because WA said we don't want to harmonise with the rest of you. But certainly the east coast is a fairly consistent position. So that's why we can talk quite confidently about how New South Wales is dealing with this, Victoria, Queensland, South Australia, because the legislation is generally pretty similar. So it's a it's an interesting space for us geeky lawyers and accountants, but it's certainly a space that you can navigate relatively easily if you have those decent discussions with the right advisors. Ben, did you just call me as an accountant geeky? <laughs> I think I, I think well, I can speak for both of us. We're a little bit nerdy, right, Kelly? Surely. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> you love the numbers. I love the words. <laughs> I'm hearing some terms being bandied around here, and and I wonder whether we can kind of unpick a little bit of the terminology that we're speaking about here now, and just kind of going back to some first principles of what we're actually talking about. Either Kelly or Ben, can you? Give us a bit of an outline of what is that difference between a contractor 
and an independent practitioner in terms of the purpose of the payroll tax discussion that we're having here? Yeah, that's a great question, Riff. So really when we're talking about contractors, relevant contractors, practitioners, and so on and so forth, there's really three types of engagement that we're covering off. We've got employees, and employees are pretty obvious because you should have an employment agreement with them. They're working for you. You're telling them where to work, when to work, and you've got all of those usual controls. It then starts to get a bit murky where you have, okay, well, we've got an independent practitioner, but we've also got an independent contractor. What's the real difference, Ben, and why are you being so cute and creative with the <laughs> with the terminology? So when we're talking about independent contractors, what we're talking about is a sort of proper independent contractor agreement where the practice says to the doctor, hey, I need you to help see some of my patients and help provide some care for the practice. And I'm going to engage you and pay you for that service that you're providing to me and to my patients. So probably your best example of an independent contractor for a medical practice is a locum because you're engaging them to come in and to provide those services to your practice. When we're talking about independent practitioners, that's probably the easiest way we can describe the service agreement relationship, which is we are a business. We have all of these facilities and services that we can provide to you, the doctor, because when you get back to the base principles of what a service agreement really should be, it's the case of every single doctor can go off and have their own medical center and have their own rent for the premises, consumables, equipment, staffing, so on and so forth. Or they can group together and have a, a service entity that provides all of those services to them. They pay a fee to cover those costs and they then get to focus on doing what they do best, which is seeing their patients and running their own independent little businesses. And the practice takes care of everything else for them. So that's really the type of difference between the three with the main difference being between independent practitioner and independent contractor. In a contractor relationship, the doctor is being engaged by the practice to provide services to the practice. Whereas with the independent practitioner, the doctor's going to the practice saying, hey, can you provide this admin and facility service to me so I can do what I do best, which is practicing medicine. Lovely, great explanation. Ben, thank you for that. Now, the other term that I've heard you refer to just now is also the notion of a relevant contract. Can you explain what that's all about? Yes, yeah, certainly. So in the Payroll Tax Act for, that's been harmonised across the estate, what the Revenue Office has done is they've said, look, we know that payroll tax needs to be paid for all employees on the wages but we think that we also need to encompass any of these relevant contracts, which is defined in the Act. But don't worry, again, I'll give you the summary of it. But defined in the Act to say, essentially, if you are a business and you're engaging people to provide services for you, if you're exercising the administrative and operational controls over those people that are working in your business, then really we think you're effectively dealing with those people as if they were employees or relevant contracts. And accordingly, any payments that you're making to those people should be captured for payroll tax and should form part of the calculations for whatever threshold it may be. So suddenly, if you're, as Kelly said, if you've got your admin team and your nursing team and that wage bill potentially is under the threshold, but you then start looking at the 65% or 70% on average that's going to the doctors through your bank accounts, 
then you very quickly will probably get over that threshold and suddenly have quite a large payroll tax bill that you need to be thinking about. I think that's an awesome sort of segue from this is the theory behind it to Kelly, what are we sort of seeing in terms of that audit activity? And suddenly we've got that grouping that Ben talked about with those relevant contracts that it's over that. What are we sort of seeing out there really going on? Yeah. So look, there there is activity, but there has been activity for many years across many industries. So I think that is important to understand. And the activity that we're seeing in my personal experience, it's not isolated, you're a medical centre, therefore I am going to come and audit you. It is due to a range of factors. One that I know Ben and I both agree on and we've both had experience with is data matching, triggering audits. And this is actually a really common one that I see still now, even after speaking about payroll tax for a couple of years, is a practice will be lodging VASs and tax returns with all the sales of all the practitioners, so all their patient billings as sales. And then the 65 or 70% being taken by the doctor is reported as contractor payments on a particular label on the tax return and as an expense item on the BAS. So it's a pretty, pretty surefire way to trigger an audit. If you're telling the ATO, hey, I paid a million dollars to contractors last year and I paid $600,000 in wages. And I'm in Victoria, where last year the you know the threshold was six hundred and fifty thousand. So the ATO is going to go, okay, well here I'll data share this label over with you, the State Revenue Office, and they're going to say, hang on, these people aren't registered for payroll tax, but they've paid one point six million to contractors and employees. So there's some pretty simple errors at that level that are triggering some audit activity. And they're the things that if you get some good advice from good accountants and lawyers, they're the first things we're going to fix up and, and help you to, to get right. So that's a trigger. We've seen a bit around what I mentioned before about payroll tax audits being triggered because people weren't registered. So there's been a review into their registration at which time the payroll tax office says, actually, I'll also look at the doctor payments while I'm here as looking as, as, as the employees. So, yeah, there's been a bit around that, but I think what's caused all the anxiety and all the stress right now is sort of some of these cases being widely talked about in the media, in forums, amongst colleagues, in workplaces. There's been a big Grim Reaper type campaign, the ATO and the OSR and everybody's coming to get you type situation. And look, for some people who don't have their affairs set up, maybe they are sitting ducks. For other people that are getting good advice who are taking steps to do the right things, yes, there is anxiety, there is risk, but it can be managed. So, yeah, I think we need to keep it a little bit in perspective. It is a business risk. It is something that needs attention. But at the same time, you need to just keep everything in perspective and understand that audits have been happening for years. And they'd be data matching across all different businesses, wouldn't they, Kelly? They're not just saying, let's just data match our medical stuff. They're doing everything, aren't they? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a wider thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I guess this all comes back to understanding your reporting and your structure and your obligations and mm. just making sure that you've got everything lined up. Because it's very easy, if you're you're not really clear on what your structure is, what your engagement model is, how you're doing your invoicing, how you're doing your reporting, what your obligation is to all the different tax bodies, then it's pretty easy to get yourself in hot water. So I think that is underlying everything. Which is a really great question that I had coming in today, 
Kelly and, and Ben, I'd love to hear from both of you. As a practice manager, right now, taking out all the fear and everything and, and the noise around it and what you read everywhere, what should I be doing now? You know, if you get a pen and paper out now and you're right, there's the things that you as a practice manager should be doing now, what would your advice be on that front? I think definitely don't go on the forums because that's the, that's the worst thing you can do and sort of go to the Facebook pages and everything else because you'll just cover make your ears, yourself, cover your ears, make yourself <laughs> more confused. Listen, listen to the to the experts, listen to the podcasts and, and all those sorts of things. But also, just the worst thing people do is, and I talk to people all the time where they say, "Oh, well, we've had sleepless nights and we don't know what's to ha- what to do and how to deal with it." Just have that conversation. With the like, you know, with Kelly, with myself, with with anyone that knows the space, and we'll be quickly able to put those fears to bed and make sure that you, at the very least, know what you need to be doing. If anything, many practices are doing the right thing. It's not the case of every single practice in Australia is doing the wrong thing and everyone's in trouble. It's very much a case of for the, the vast majority of you, you're all doing everything well, but really, it's a case of. First things first, sit down with the advisors. If you don't want to do that, at the very least, have a look through your agreements, see if they're ticking the right boxes, which we can get to shortly, I'm sure. And also make sure that you maybe think about your websites and how you're actually portraying your relationship with these doctors to the public. Because Kelly said the the revenue office is certainly doing data matching. And then if that data matching is starting to raise some flags, we know that they're then going on to look at your websites to see, okay, well, how are these people actually being portrayed to the public and what's the relationship looking like? And they're collating that information so that when they do contact you, they can make sure their position's pretty pretty strong and pretty accurate. And what about you, Kelly? What would be some action that you'd recommend PMs to take now? Yeah, so, and first of all, I want to say that I really sympathise with a lot of the PMs because primarily the risk and the ultimate decision might work to the practice owners, but the PMs are bearing a lot of the anxiety and mm-hmm. trying to fix part of the puzzle on a day-to-day basis without necessarily being involved in the overall structure and meetings and things like that. So hopefully lots of practice owners, if the PM isn't the practice owner, hopefully lots of practice owners get the PMs together and work together to do this. Send them the link to this podcast. <laughs> we- <laughs> So, yeah, so look, I totally agree with Ben that the first step is sitting down with experts and working out exactly what your exposure and your risk is. So having a look at your overall situation and having a a pretty frank discussion about what you're doing and how you're doing it. In terms of more tangible things, I guess a few steps that you might want to take is Number one, which I said before, is understanding the structure. So many people come into our office with their financial statements and I ask a few questions and it becomes very apparent that there's no no understanding of how the actual business structure actually works. So when I'm talking about that is I'm saying, what is your structure? How do you engage? What are the contracts, which Ben would be all over? What are the contracts between the parties in this situation? What's the financial flow that's happening? So I think just understanding that overall structure where you are now is very important. Then you'd start to have a look at the more day-to-day in your business type things. So looking at how you've set up your financial system, so your zero, your invoicing, and everybody should understand that there is a big difference between an RCTI and a normal tax invoice. And 
those things will have different ramifications in terms of how they link into what Ben talked about before, independent practitioners running their own business versus contractors providing services to the practice. So looking at that sort of thing, looking at how your invoices are coming out of your BP or your Praxoft, having a look at how you're engaging your GP supervisors, looking at banking arrangements, looking at how funds are distributed around your practitioners. So there is some pretty tangible things in terms of, you know, checklists that you can go through about all those operational things. But in saying that, you need to understand your structure first. You also need to make sure that any of those operational financial system changes that you're making gelling with your legal advice and all the contracts and things that your lawyer is advising. So that's why I think it's really important to have both people on the team working together and cross-checking that things work in. It's, it's no good getting great advice from two separate people that doesn't fit together. So what I'm hearing you say, Kelly, is that one of the key need to do now is to gain a deeper understanding of what is the current practice structure, just to give some insight into you know, whether you're likely to be okay or whether more work is going to be needed to get you into a safer space if the aim is to protect the practice from historical claims on payroll tax and the like. So that's one thing. I wanted to whether you can give us a bit more of an insight too into what you mean when you say understand the difference between a tax invoice and a recipient created tax invoice. Can you dig a little deeper into that too, please? Yeah, sure. So a recipient created tax invoice historically has been generated by the practice and provided to the doctor. And normally, if you would have a doctor paying a service fee to the practice because they're running their own business and the practice is providing support and admin and rooms, the doctor would be paying the service fee to the practice. So the practice would be issuing a normal invoice to the doctor for the 30% or whatever it might be in service fee. When the practice issues an RCTI in the name of the doctor, they're basically saying that the doctor has provided services to the practice that the practice is now going to pay the doctor for. And, and GST comes into play here too because GST is different between those two sort of scenarios. So RCTIs are generally only issued if the doctor is providing services to the practice. And so what I'm hearing by default then is that if the doctor is providing services to the practice... As we step through that, that means we are talking about a relevant contract to which it's more likely that payroll tax would apply. Is that a, a correct interpretation? Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah. Oh, lots to think about there. And I think, like, I was thinking to you and, and I was like, oh, that's three or four questions that came up to me. And I think everyone was listening to the advice there. Kelly and Ben would have had the same things. Where should practice managers go? So I know you mentioned their accountants and their, and, and their lawyers. Is that sort of the, the team you need around you for this situation or anyone else you need to be thinking about? Yes. Yeah, so look, yes, I think you need your accountant and your lawyer, 
but not just any old accountant and lawyer. And of course, Ben and I are biased, but you need people that <laughs> have had experience in not only advising on payroll tax, but advising to medical practices and those in the health industry, and also people that have had exposure to investigations and audits as well and mm. understand the, the risk factors and, and that process. So I think you definitely need to speak to them. Going further than that, it, it depends on who advises your practice on a daily basis because if you had maybe outsourced PM support or some other sort of consultants or advisors working in your business, everybody needs to be on the same page. So I believe that you should get all those people in a room and have discussions about this is the plan moving forward. And look, it has been quite difficult because at the moment there's a big discussion and a lot of movement around changing banking arrangements in practices, which is probably something we should cover today because it is definitely something really topical. And look, that is a really good idea in some situations, but it needs to be done as part of a wider plan and it needs to be done to reflect the underlying arrangements that are happening in that practice. So leaving everything in your practice the same and going, I'm going to avoid my payroll tax risk just by updating the bank accounts with Medicare and, and on my tyro machine, that is not in itself going to fix your issue if you have an issue at all, okay? So I think everything needs to be done. It's like a, a puzzle that you need to fit all the pieces together, have all the people on the same page and then take it away from there. Yeah, Kat, I think that's a, a really good point in terms of trusted advisors and bank accounts and everything else of certainly there's a lot of people that profess to have health experience on their websites and everything else, but making sure, I mean, there's, there's plenty of people that are making noise in the actual medical industry like ourselves and we really genuinely do understand the space. Working at Avant Law, it's a bit hard for me to say that I don't know doctors when doctors are the business <laughs> and my owners and everything else when you're a mutual, but certainly we always know the space very well and certainly there's a few other firms out there that do know the space, both accounting and legal, and making sure that you do genuinely talk to those people, not necessarily just your neighbourhood local accountant who has a little bit of knowledge on it. And then in terms of the bank accounts, I think that probably is a very detailed conversation that you probably need to have with your advisors. But certainly from the legal perspective, the argument really is, well, technically those doctors are all conducting their own independent businesses from your practice. So theoretically, they should all have their own independent bank accounts and they should be receiving the money from their patients and all of the patient revenue direct to them and then paying practice. So I think that the clearing accounts or trust accounts, or whatever you want to call them of old, probably came to light from, I'm sure it was an accountant and a legal advisor about 10 or 15 years ago that told everyone, hey, this is a great way to decrease your administrative burden and potentially increase your service fee. But I think that probably is a bit of a murky situation, which we could spend hours talking about, I'm sure, and cover in great, great detail. But yeah, certainly it's a case of every single practice should be talking to the right advisors that genuinely know the space and two of them are really great podcast presenters I hear um, <laughs> and you know <laughs> definitely know the space very well. Fabulous well look that's been just such a, a great overview of the payroll tax fundamentals I guess and it wraps up our episode one for this discussion because 
We have so much more to discuss and to dig into, so stay tuned. We're going to come back to you with Episode 2 to continue the conversation with Ben and with Kelly. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Medicubes podcast. Make sure you subscribe via your favourite podcast listening app so you don't miss an episode. Medicubes is brought to you by Cubico, MediCoach and Medical Business Services with technical support from the awesome crew at Talking Health Tech. This podcast presents information of a general nature and we recommend that you obtain professional advice for your individual circumstances always. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions and suggestions for future topics on the show. Make sure you visit us via the Minicubes website, which you can access via the show notes of this episode. Also, if you're enjoying the show, write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with someone who might get some value from it so we can continue to share these important messages with more people. Speak to you next time.